All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalms, and we'll see how far we get today. One and two for sure. But we do have communion, so we need to make room for that for sure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the time we get to have. We've had worship, singing, and now we get to read about the songs that many men have written about you and uh, for you and um, prayers put, in, put, to, put to song. And um, we thank you for this. It's, it's the center part of the book. It's, it's the center part of our life. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're made to do is to worship you. And um, we pray for that healthy expression in our own lives, um, that the natural outpouring of our hearts would be worshiped to you, God. Because um, you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. That's one of the neatest things about worship. Just it gives my soul the opportunity to respond to all that God's done for me. And I don't know why that he likes it, but he does, you know. Um, some of us, you know, we, we complain about our voices or maybe our abilities, and they're not the greatest. Um, but to, to a father, it just doesn't matter to him. Um, you know, siblings will give each other a hard time about our abilities. That's just what we do. Um, I know that our kids, in fun and in jest, will give each other a hard time about inabilities, maybe, or um, we, we love to focus on problems like chickens and just kind of peck at those things. And, and we can do that to ourselves when it comes to our walk with the Lord. Um, we can complain about our growth. We can complain about our lack of knowledge of Scripture. We can complain about our prayer life. We can complain about our lack of singing or our desire to worship or whatever it may be. We have a lot to, we can find a lot to complain about. And I just want to encourage you um, that your Father in Heaven doesn't see it that way. First of all, His Word tells us that. Um, he, he desires things from us, but He wants it to come from our hearts. Um, and so as we go through these Psalms, which is a collection of songs, is all they are. I mean, I think you know that. Um, written by people that just wanted to write down what was on their heart towards God. And that's never ended. Now we have that enshrined. It is permanent in God's word here. These are the authorized Psalms that God said, here's some great examples of people's hearts being poured out to me, but that's never stopped. Um, there's a debate in the church and there always has been, I'll probably always will be, you know, I, I like the hymns. I like to listen to the, hy- and I don't mean to make that sound, but it's usually the older folks who are like, I just love them hymns, you know? And, and that's great. I do too. I do too. But God didn't stop writing songs through people with hymns. He's continued to work, and many of the books in the, in, in, in the New Testament and, and many of the songs that we sing in Revelation of a, in heaven are, are not hymns, they're choruses. Um, and so God is active and alive, and His Holy Spirit is working through all the new believers as well as all the old believers, and there's this beautiful uh, mosaic of worship lifted up to God. And um, so as we read these Psalms, I mean, if we really want to be you know, legalistic about it, these are the only authorized songs we should be singing in church, but none of us know the tunes. That's the problem. It's like we could put our own tune to them, and, and a lot of the hymns were just put to old bar tunes. They just changed the lyrics to Christian words and all that, so you're singing bar tunes if you love hymns, so um, there you go. <laughs> all that to say is there's a lot of worship that goes on. We spend a lot of time worshiping here. We spend of our hour and 15 minutes that we spend together on a Sunday morning, uh, 20 to 30 minutes of it is singing. I think it's very important. Um, it's, it needs to have a very important part and, and role um, together to lift up our voices. 
because we can do it alone in the car, we can do it alone at home or whatever, but to, to do it together is a, is, a, is a treat, you know, and God loves that, and so we want to do that. There's a lot of doctrine in these Psalms, too. A lot of them are prophetic. A lot of them are just doctrine. So a lot of them will see a person's heart change from despair to encouragement. Um, there's a lot to learn in these, and I, and I hope you enjoy them as much as I have so far studying them. The book of Psalms is broken up into five sections. Um, the first book of Psalms is 1 through 41. That'll be our first book of Psalms. I, we won't go through 41 Psalms today, I promise. Um, after that, it's 42 through 72. That's our next section, or our next book. The next one is 73 through 89, and you don't need to write these down or keep track of them. I'll let you know when we hit these waypoints. Uh, the fourth is 90 through 106, and then 107 through 150. 150 is the one that ends with all the clashing symbols. That's where the drums enter into worship that people think are of the devil. Nope, they're in the Bible. So um, you, you can throw that doctrine out or false doctrine out. Um, this Psalm 1, we had our kids memorize this. This is one of those homeschooling things. And I think if you're ever going to memorize Scripture, which I think it's very important to hide God's Word in your heart, this is an excellent one. Now, you don't know the tune. We don't know how to sing it necessarily, but it's only six verses long. It you know, may take you a month to get it down. Some of you are smarter than that. It can go a lot faster for you. Some of you are not as smart as those people, and it might take you a little bit longer. You know, um, But this Psalm 1 is just a wonderful, um, and you can see why when we read this, why we had our kids memorize it, it's just a wonderful just life lesson. Um, that you sing, you know, I still have to sing the ABC song to find out what comes after certain letters in the alphabet. You know, I still have to go through the whole thing. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, J, K, L, M, N, P, 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 it's P. You know, I do that. This is one of those great songs that as a kid grows up, no matter where they find themselves in the world, if they've memorized this in their heart, they've, they've probably got 90% of the Bible down. In this one section of scripture, 90% of their Christian living down, let's put it that way, not the Bible, but Christian living down um, as far as what they should be doing. So um, Psalm 1, the way of the righteous and the end of the ungodly. So it's a comparison between what a righteous person does and what an ungodly person does. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The first verse describes what a man does not do. That's half of it. We know we want to be led by the Lord. We know we're supposed to hear the things of God. We're supposed to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But just as important is to not listen to the world and to follow their example or to follow their advice because it doesn't matter whether they're an expert in the field or not. If it's an ungodly person giving you the advice, it's tainted. It doesn't even matter if it's almost right or if it almost sounds exactly like what a believer would say. It's tainted. Ungodly wisdom isn't something to be followed. We're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And it's amazing how often we do. And I don't think we realize it even. We listen to ungodly people because of the authority or because of the title that they may have. And we automatically assume we should walk in that council because, well, they must know more than I do. They're certainly more confident about their position than I am. Um, somebody along the line has recognized them as an authority figure and put them in this position. So therefore, and we just come to these worldly conclusions that what they have to say and what they have to offer is accurate, that it's correct, that it leads us in the path of righteousness or towards God. And it doesn't oftentimes. 
And we have to be careful about that. Um, I, look, I work in a, an, on a sideline in an industry that's supposed to be some of the most ethical people on the planet. Um, ethics started with realtors, if you didn't know that. You can look up the history on it, but then uh, a lot of the doctors got their ethics from realtors. We had to come up with some ethics really quick because we are kind of unethical when we started off. It was the Wild West out there when it came to buying and selling land. And we realized that, and the name was getting so poor out there that, oh, oh, realtors, oh, realtors. So we had to come up with something to get that changed. And so there was a code of ethics that we wrote, and many other industries have adopted these ethics into their industries. That being said, (laughs) having them written down and having them followed are two different things. And it's an interesting Wild West scenario out there sometimes. Um, It's amazing what kind of counsel we'll take from people because we assume they know more if they've been in the industry longer. And that's not exactly true. It's not godly counsel. It's ungodly. Well, that's not going to get you ahead. If that's how you get ahead, then that's not how we want to get ahead. That's not worth it. Um, and so th- that's just one example, one, one of many areas. Um, blessed is the man. You are a blessed human being when you do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And so therefore, steer clear of it. Avoid it. Recognize where it's coming from. Understand the source of the counsel in your life. And if it's not from a godly source, you remove it. Um, it's not going to help you. There's a progression here that we'll notice that from walking to standing to sitting, if I begin to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, I'll find myself standing with the sinners, and eventually I'll be sitting with the scornful. It is a slow progression, but it is a progression, and you would find yourself there if you don't escape that trap or this cycle. It starts with not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Verse 2, but his delight... The person, the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who doesn't stand in the path of sinners, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That's the part we do do. We steer clear of the ungodly, we steer clear of the sinners, and we steer clear of the scornful as far as finding our home there. And we begin to meditate on God's word. That's what's true. That's what's holy. That's what sustains us. That's what makes us in the people we want to be. This is a worship song. This is a song we sing out to our God. God, we recognize that we're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We understand we shouldn't stand in the path of sinners. Lord, we know we shouldn't sit in scornful, but we will delight in the law of your Lord, or the, the law of you. Um, we will meditate on your law. We will spend time there thinking about it and getting it into our hearts, into every fabric of our lives, every area will be affected by your law. We will do that, God. That's an act of worship. Many times we come to God and his word and Jesus Christ and the cross and the hill of Calvary that we sang about this morning to better our lives or to fix situations we find ourselves in. Christian living, that's that's probably the biggest section. If you were going into Barnes & Noble or if you're going to go into whatever the other bookstore that's not Borders, I think they're defunct now. But, um, but when you would go into the Christian area, that's the biggest section would be Christian living, how to, how to live this Christian life. Well, um, 
to live a Christian life, to live a life that's blessed, to live a life that is being changed and transformed and corrected, um, recalibrated to God's ways, you have to meditate on his law. And what he means by that is not just like the law, the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's part of it, but all of it. And when you meditate on these things, when you let that be the thing you think about the most, more than any other ungodly counsel out there, more than any path of a sinner or the seat of a scornful, when that occupies your mind, that is how you have your mind renewed. You can't have it renewed any other way. Nobody can live your life with Christ for you. You have to do it. You have to choose these things. These are decisions you make. I choose to delight in the law of the Lord. It's a blessing to me. I love all of it. I delight in it. I choose to meditate on it. I'm going to choose to do that. These are things we have to personally decide to do. Nobody's going to do that for me. When I don't do those things and I find myself in verse 1 and I find myself not in verse 2, I can't complain about the direction of my life or how I feel. I need another Christian living book. No, you need to do 1 and 2. That's it. You do one and two, that's 90% of your walk right there. You don't do one and two, you already take those two verses and throw those out. You can't complain about the direction of your life or why God isn't working fast enough or moving you in a direction you need to go into. Verse three, the person that does these things, that meditates day and night on the law of the Lord is like a, a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He's not affected by the drought of life. He's not affected by the things that can cause us to go up and down. He's planted himself right by the river. So what if it doesn't rain? So what if the stuff doesn't come from above? The people in the mountains, they got to worry about that. The people in the desert, they have to rely on that. But the person who plants himself by the river of life is always going to have enough water for their soul. Always. Once in a while, you'll see someone disappear for a while from church. It happens. You wonder, well, it's been months since I've seen them. I hope they're okay. And you check on them and you call them. Oh, yeah, 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 we're fine. It ends up being years. You kind of get the hint. Oh, well, okay. Not that they're off doing anything they shouldn't be doing. You never make those assumptions, but you just kind of wonder, I wonder what happened to them, but they're not interested in this place, so they must have found someplace else, you assume. It's okay. That's all right. They can. Of course they can. Then they come running to you, or they text you, or they call you. I need, I need desperate prayer. My gosh, what's happened? What's going on in your life? My life has collapsed into a, oh my goodness. Where's your pastor? Where are your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Well, I've kind of walked away, and, I, and I don't, I'm not making fun. I'm saying that is a proverb, a walking proverb. My life was getting straightened out. I was happy. My eyes were clear. My skin and my complexion were returning to normal again. I had gotten rid of all the things that have ruined my life, all the seeds that I planted in my life, all the sin. I think all the fruit was gone, and I got rid of all that bad fruit in my life, and I began to plant good seed in the soil of my life. I began to do what God wanted me to do, and they were on the rise, and something happened, and who knows what it is. It can be anything. And all of a sudden, they went back to planting sin seed in their life again. And they're desperate for the, 
the fruit that's popped up in their life now from it. And what I mean is that there's jail time, there's, there's divorce, there's loss of jobs, there's all these things that happen. It's like, I'm not saying your life's rosy and perfect, but you can't expect good fruit to come from not doing what God tells you to do. You can't expect that. It's a warning for us. Plant yourself. Planting yourself is I'm not moving. This is it. You can knock me every which way. I'm not going anywhere but by this river. I need it desperately. Without it, my leaf withers. Without it, I don't produce fruit. I understand the source. It ain't me. I'm not just this awesome plant that can walk around on my roots and just survive. You know, I know where I have to be. I got to be planted right here by the river. This is where the nutrients come from. This is where any fruit that pops off the branches in my life is going to be brought to me from this source. When you cut yourself off from that source, how do you expect to continue? The psalmist is just crying out from his heart. Oh, it's such a blessing when I stopped listening to the counsel of the ungodly. And oh, when I started meditating on God's word, I was like a tree planted by rivers of living water and it brought forth its fruit in its season. We forget that part. I've been going to church for two weeks now. When's he going to fix it all? (laughs) You planted a long row. (laughs) That's got to come to fruition still. That's going to bear fruit in your life. All those things. Sometimes God will do some weeding and pull some things out and you won't bear all of it, but you've got a lot of stuff you planted in your heart. It's got to get worked out. And you've got to plant, and you've got to wait for that season, for that fruit to grow up. You've got to have to water those seeds. You've got to let the sun hit those things. You need time. And then it pops up, and then you care for it. And you make sure it's okay, and you make sure the roots have dirt over them, and it's getting plenty of water and sunshine, and then it might, it'll bear some fruit. That's how it works. That's how the Christian life works. I am too impatient for a garden. And yet God had caused me to marry a woman who loves to garden. I don't understand that. Hyvee is right over there. I don't, you know, it's so much better for me. But it isn't, of course, you know. When we cut up our own potatoes and when we do our own thing, I'm like, this is, it is, it's like gold. You're sitting at the table like, how much of this is ours and how much of this was from the store? And we're getting to be about 80 to 90% on the tables from us. I'm like, that's pretty cool, you know, a lot of work, but that's pretty cool, you know. Well, if I want all those things, if that's my heart and I look at the Christian life and the person walking the Christian life before me, mature, and they have this wonderful fruit in their life. Oh my goodness, look at that. I want kids like that. I want a marriage like that. I want to I be happy like that. I want that joy. Wait, what do I got to do? I don't know. If I can buy it in a can, I'll pick it up in a can kind of thing. It's the same idea. This takes patience. This takes care. This takes attention. It takes effort on our parts to be those gardeners, to allow these things. I've got the seed, God says. I'll plant it in your hearts. I'll give you the living water. I'll bring you the sunshine. I'll do all these things, and it will bear fruit. And wherever which way you, which, and, and whatever he does shall prosper, it says. Verse 4, the ungodly. Now here's the contrast. 
are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. That's the dried up, nasty stuff that nobody wants to eat. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly, they'll, they'll perish. God doesn't know any other way than the way of the righteous. That's the only way he knows. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. There's no shortcuts. There's no other path to get to those destinations that you desire spiritually. You've got to go the way God knows. And that's the way of righteousness. Now, Psalm 2 is a prophetic psalm. It's a psalm written about the coming age, which is really great because that's what we just talked about last Thursday in the Revelation study as we covered chapter 19. And we're going to go on with this establishment of God's kingdom That's what this prophecy is about, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That's exactly what we read in Psalm 1. These are the people that are walking in the counsel of the ungodly. They're taking counsel from themselves. The pooling of ignorance. Let's just cast off God all these restraints. And that is, for the most part, why people reject Jesus Christ. Because if he's Lord and if he is king, then that means he's Lord and king of me. That means there's a set of rules. There's expectations that God has for us. And if those expectations are real and he is real, then I must meet those expectations, and I'd rather not. Now, that all goes on in a nanosecond in an unbeliever's life, but that is the process that they go through. Wait, what? No. It's that fast. So what we need to do then is get rid of this one who says he's over us. Let's break his bonds. That's how they see it. And we'll set ourselves up to be like the most high. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. You're going to try to fight me. You're going to try to win this. You're going to try to unseat me from my throne. That's not going to happen. It's not because he loves his throne. Because he knows what happens to everybody else once he's unseated. I bring joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. The source of all of those things is God. To remove God from your life or from this world is to remove those things. Those cannot come from any other source. So I laugh, he says, and I hold you in derision when you think that you can do this. First of all, you're not strong enough, but second of all, it's not good for everybody. Verse 5, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. That's that great tribulation period that we were talking about. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. When Jesus comes to set up his millennial reign, which is where we are in chapter 19 and 20 of Revelation, that's a thousand-year reign on this earth, on this creation, with the people that are left, and we rule and reign with him. This is what it looks like. God sets him up and begins to have this reign on the earth. Now, when that thousand years is up, we get a new creation. We get a new heaven. We get a new earth. We get a new Jerusalem. God is still on the throne. 
But all of this is gone and all the new has come, but that's not what he's talking about here. This is the establishing of his kingdom now. No longer does man rule himself. No longer are there kings and kingdoms. It's just me and my kingdom. And God says, I will give you your inheritance, the ends of the earth, all of it. It's all your possession. And that was the one thing that Satan tried to trick Jesus into doing. He says, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. I can do that too, you know, if you just bow down and worship me. No, I'd rather not, God Jesus said, in not so many words. <laughs> he says, no, I'm going to worship my dad. I'm going to worship my father. Because that's the right thing to do. That's the path of righteousness. It would be a shortcut. Would have been a lot easier for him. No cross, no whippings, none of that. Still have the same sort of authority. But it's not the way of righteousness. It's not something that's sustainable. In my Christian walk, when I'm doing Psalm 1, I have to keep that in mind. There are ways to get those goals. The world has ways, and they've discovered those ways to come to those same goals that many of us are. Happiness, it may be temporary, but it is somewhat happiness. They find it. It doesn't last very long. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes of that the facade of happiness of the unbeliever's life. There's a lot going on in their hearts and in their minds that they don't talk about because that ruins the picture. It shows that their path was futile and it didn't fulfill them completely, but it does look like happiness to everybody else. There is that, but it doesn't last. Jesus, if he had taken up Satan on his offer and received the kingdoms from him, well, yeah, but you remove God. And the best part about God are his attributes, are the things that he brings to the table. Of of course, I love forgiveness and grace and mercy and all that, but that comes from his love for me. That doesn't come from any other place but his love for me. And if you remove him from that, then there is no love. You just have people. It's a very confusing place to be. It's a confusing place to be when you've removed God, and we're watching that, Um, from someone's life or from a nation's life or from a city's life or from a country's life. When you remove God from that, when he is not the primary leader in that nation, city, home, there's confusion and every evil thing is there. It is. You can see that. We're watching that unfold in our country right now. We're seeing it happen real time. I think a lot of us have a hard time actually believing this is actually happening. I would be Am I on TV or something? You know, kind of thing. Is there a camera watching me? Because there is no way this guy belongs anywhere near, and I'm not talking about Biden. I'm talking about his latest appointee to the nuclear whatever. You're kidding me. And if you don't know, I actually took some screenshots of this guy, and I thought, I need to get those off my phone. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up. Latest appointee nuclear and you won't even believe, you'll think you got the wrong thing. Did I pull up a site I shouldn't have pulled up or whatever? No, that's it. I was going to say he, but I think he prefers they. Those are his pronouns, they. Absolutely horrific. And you're watching this saying, this is a clown show. You've got to be kidding me. You're on the nuclear board, and you're in charge of Homeland Security? And you're in charge of my goodness, there's more makeup on these men than I've seen 
I'm so speechless. And I'm watching this. I'm saying, oh, of course. This is what we look like without God. This is what it looks like to have confusion and every evil thing living and coming to the surface when we don't have the Lord as our primary leader and ruler. God laughs in derision. He holds them in derision. He laughs at them and says, this is not happening. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress and his deep pleasure. I've set my king. He's going to take over here, and it's going to be a rod of iron that he'll rule by. Verse 10, now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Some believe that's us that he's talking about there, not like worldly kings. Like worldly kings, if you don't recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be in big trouble. It could mean that. But since Scripture tells us that believers rule and reign with God here on earth, we return with them on the horses. We are part of this leading, ruling force that comes back to establish his kingdom. Some believe verse 10 is for us and verse 11. And either way, if it's for the unbelieving kings, yep. If it's for me, yeah. Yeah. Be wise. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. We want to do that. There's a blessing attached to putting your trust in him. And there is a curse when you don't. It's just natural. There is no middle ground. A lot of people are trying to ride the fence or try to think that there's some neutral zone that they can be in spiritually. Well, I don't worship Satan, but I certainly don't worship God. I'm just kind of my own, on my own. No, you worship Satan. Well, I don't worship Satan. Yep, you do. If you're not with the Son then you're not with the sun. Then you're with the other team is the idea. There are two teams on the field, good and evil. And if you're not with the good side, if you're not with Jesus, then you're on the wrong side and you are with Satan. You are walking with him. It doesn't matter whether he gets credit or not in your life. You're leaving a wake of sinful destruction behind you wherever you go as you walk with Satan. That's just a fact. And although you don't give Satan credit for all the destruction, you maybe blame circumstances or bad luck, or uh, I just, I don't know why these things are happening to me. Well, God's word tells us exactly why these things happen. You're walking in sin and expecting to produce godly fruit, and you can't. Godly fruit doesn't come from wicked sin, not that kind of seed. It can't. He says that several times through scripture, trying to get that across, just through, just through stories as a does good fruit come from a bad tree? Well, no. You've got to be a good tree to have good fruit. And he says it many different ways, all sorts of different ways. Um, and he wants us to understand that because it's a, it's a universal truth. To walk in a godly way, is, is gonna, you're going to produce godliness in your life and, and to leave a wake of godliness behind you. It may not advance you as fast as the world's ways will, because the world's ways are designed to advance you faster if you obey them. God's ways are designed to advance us in a different way. And it's always successful. Always, he says. Always. So kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. 
Ah, I better not do three. Yeah, we've got communion, and then we've got a final song. So I'm not, or no, we don't have a final song on second first service, do we? Okay, let's do three. The Lord helps his troubled people. David wrote this song. He was fleeing from Absalom at the time. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who save me. There, there is no help from him and God. Selah, and that means pause, rest. So David is starting off right off the bat. I got a lot of enemies. I got a lot of people chasing me. And what I hear them saying is there's no help for him in God. God's not helping him. So I thought I'd write a song, you know. I thought I'd worship. The first thing that comes to our minds when we're in trouble to worship. I'm not trying to be cute. But I see David, who's a man after God's own heart, when he's in trouble, begins to cry out and worship to God. Worship is the most healthy, natural thing that comes from a believer. When worship doesn't naturally come from a person who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if it doesn't flow from them, there's something wrong. There's an unhealthiness there, spiritually. It should naturally come. Oh, God. you know, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. This is in the his despair. His own son is chasing him down to kill him. Probably the worst position that anybody would ever find themselves in. Know that their own son wanted to kill them. There is no help for him in God is what they're saying. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. Doesn't matter what the ungodly are saying. Here's what you say. You're my shield, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. Pause. He pauses after he proclaims the evil that's against him, but he also pauses after he says, but, but here's the answer. Here's the response. Here's my God. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone and have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. Pause. Simple prayer. Simple worship song. Hiding. They're after me. They want to kill me, but I'm not worried because I know you're my shield. I know that I can lay down and I can sleep. I know you'll sustain me. It doesn't matter if there's 10,000 of them. If there's 100,000 of them, it doesn't matter how many of them there are, I know I have you, and that's the majority. He understands that. And so although the real trouble is there, the real danger is there, Absalom, his son, is really out there doing these things, he can find refuge in the midst of that. He's not out of it. Not yet, anyway. But he can find peace and hope and even joy in the middle of it as he praises the Lord, as he sings and brings God worship from his heart. I encourage you to do that, to bring that worship to God. Let that be the natural reaction to trials and tribulations in your life, worship. Begin to sing, to talk about his greatness. Not all problems get very small when you begin to worship, but most do. Some of the problems that we carry with us are big. Some of them are pretty trivial. They can be. I know I can be worried about the smallest things. Um, 
But some of them aren't so small. Some of them are life and death. Some of them are affecting us more and will affect us for years maybe. You know? But still, and still, we worship. When we cry out to God and we talk about Him and we talk about our future and our hope, when we begin to sing songs and make them up if you want to, about what you know about God's Word. The last chapter we just read in Revelation, what a great time to worship God and to think about that. Oh, it's going to be great when we come back with you. It's going to be great when all this is over with. It's going to be great when every tear is wiped away, when all the sorrow disappears, when you rule and reign, and we never have to worry about another election again. You know, Oh, you know, our candidate, you know, it almost seems horrible to say that out loud. You know, he's not a candidate. He's a king, but he's our king, you know, and as ambassadors here on earth, we're looking at these worldly leaders trying to lead us and we're like, oh my goodness, you're trying to do it without God. This is not going to end well for anybody. Come Lord Jesus quickly. And we begin to worship. And David finds his hope in his God. A lot of his guys didn't understand that. A lot of his guys are watching him write Psalm 3. He's got a lot of guys with him in these caves and running through the wilderness. Many people, the discontented, it says, the disheartened, the indebted, it says. That's, that's quite a crew. They all gathered to David out there. We're on your team. Oh, you know, <laughs> are there any rich guys out there that are on my team? Are there any guys that aren't depressed? Um, no, just us. Oh, I better write another song. <laughs> and they're watching this David who's fleeing for his life from his own son write these songs about his God, and they begin to become the mighty men of David because they're watching him worship. A lot of people are watching you worship. A lot of people don't have the hope you have. They don't have the understanding of God's word that you have, and they want to see how you're going to react And the way you react affects many, many people. And the way David reacts here by writing this Psalm 3 in the midst of his trouble causes a lot of people's faith to grow. It just does. And that's a good stopping point, I think. That'll give us enough time. So if the guys want to hand out the communion right now, we'll take some time to do that. And worship God through this communion. Communion's a time when we hand you a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice And it's a reminder, it's a time that we have together where we remember the Lord the night before he was betrayed when he broke bread and passed the cup around while they were having the Passover meal. And he said to the bread, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember my broken body for you. That hadn't happened yet. It was going to happen the next day, but he wanted them to have that understanding now. And so that's what we remember this morning. Remember that God was on the cross. That Jesus went and died on the cross. He didn't take Satan's plan of just getting the kingdoms without going to the cross. He says, no, I'm going to do it the righteous way. I'm going to do it God's way. And he went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins and for your sins. And that's what this bread represents, his broken body. And we remember that. That he didn't choose the easy way. He chose the hard way. The little cup that we have here with juice in it. Jesus took the cup that they were drinking from at the time and said, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It was the cup of his new covenant. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, when he was whipped, when he began to let his blood spill instead of ours, when he became the lamb that was sacrificed for our sins, the perfect lamb, 
He said, this is once for all. And means you'll never, ever hold a cup of blood or have to ever offer another sacrifice as long as you live. This bread and this cup remind us of the only and single sacrifice ever offered or ever needs to be offered for my sins. And it took hold and it was accepted by God and it's permanent. And that nothing can separate me from that love and that forgiveness that God has given me. And we do this in remembrance of him and we thank him for that. And it's an act of worship. He says, I want you to do this. We can do this. I'll gladly remember you. I'll gladly think about it. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, you know. They, they mean something different by it a lot of times, but we've always made it a big deal in our house because it represents love. And we do godly love. We don't just do eros. We do um, the agape love is what we talk about in our home. And that agape love, that, that unconditional love, that favor that God's bestowed upon us and given us, it's what a wonderful day to remember that. What a wonderful thing for him to give us. I want you to know how much I love you. You know, Do this often, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. Do this in remembrance of me, because this is my expression, my greatest expression of my love for you. Beats chocolates and roses any day. So talk about a valentine. You know. This is my love for you. Remember me. And we do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for giving us this memory. We can think about the time that you chose to go to the cross for us, to die on the cross for our sins, to take a death penalty that was intended for us and put it upon yourself to let our sins, all of them, pass from us to you. And you became sin for us. And when you were nailed to the cross, so was our sin. And as far as the east is from the west, you've forgotten our sin, forgiven us and forgotten it. And now we have this righteousness. We stand before and you present us before your Father as righteous, pure, and holy. And so we remember that this morning. We remember your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, as we work our way through these psalms, these beautiful songs that men have written to you, I pray that somewhere along the line as we go through this, and whether we memorize one, the first one, or we come up with our own song to you, God, we pray that you'd, uh, you'd be blessed by it, that we'd worship you with what we know about you, with what we've experienced from you and through you, that from our own hearts, there would be just that free worship of you, and that you'd enjoy it. Lord. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.